I am Emily Lyons. In 2011, without a high school degree and with no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. Since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be utterly lifted and shifted by these people too. All inspiring people are inspired people, so get ready to be inspired. I believe the most important lessons aren't taught in school. I wish they taught resilience, for example. It's one of the most important things you need to foster if you want to chase after your dreams in this life. Born in Los Angeles, Andy Grammer is the son of Catherine Willoughby and recording artist Robert Crane Red Grammer. Andy began writing songs at the age of only 15 years old and later going on to study music at university. Andy is now a platinum-selling singer, songwriter, and record producer, known worldwide for his catchy hits such as Honey, I'm Good and Don't Give Up On Me. But his journey was far from an easy one, and he had to work for his talent. It wasn't natural to him. He played and busked on street corners in California for years before somebody took notice of him and gave him a chance. Andy knows all too well about resilience and not giving up. So I am joined today by the incredible human being, creator, singer, songwriter, producer, Andy Grammer. So Andy, welcome. Hey, how you doing? Good. Now, I can't even tell you how many of our listeners have been wanting me to have you on. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. I hear you people, and here he is. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So uh, what I want to know first is how do you describe who Andy Grammer is? Ooh, grounded optimist. Ooh, I like that. Sure, yeah, something like that. <laughs> so I first really noticed you when your song Don't Give Up On Me came out for the movie Five Feet Apart, which of course was about cystic fibrosis. So now yeah. bo- both of my siblings actually were born with CF. So. Oh, I'm so sorry. So I had, a, had a, an older sister and I have a younger brother and they both have it. And fortunately, I lost my sister in 2011. So I've always been my whole life very involved with the CF community and that song very much became an anthem in the community and still is to this day. Yeah, I have friends and one specifically that comes to mind named Stephanie and she was very, very sick last year and dying and and in the hospital for months. And she says your song kept her alive and fighting. And yeah, there's actually a video online that's been shared a bunch of times of her and her son, Gray, and he's sitting on her lap in a hospital bed and they're singing the song together. Man. Yeah, they that's, would. Um, that's amazing. They would sing it every day in hospital together. <laughs> you, you just don't know when you're writing something. It, I'll just jump into like you have no idea when you are facing your fear to create something what it can do for other people. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, when you go to write a song, I mean, the average person might just think about themselves and be scared that they're going to make something bad, so mm-hmm. then they'll stop. Mm-hmm. And we don't think through that you're not just doing it for yourself and you don't know what you fighting your own fear can get out into the world. The story of that song was that I wrote, I wrote it with some friends and we'd written four songs already that day. Wow. And we were just kind of getting ready to throw in the towel because that's so many songs in one (laughs) day and they're all okay, but none of them were really like crushing. And then we just decided to just not give up and write a song about not giving up writing songs (laughs) and so we kept pushing and then this song came out really fast and then it has done so many sweet stories like the one you just told me it just makes me want to encourage anyone who's listening who's 
creative or doing anything in their life that they feel the, the resistance or feel the fear of even starting something. And you just don't know how it's going to help everyone if you push through yourself. You know? Like it's literally saved lives. It's really, really <laughs> wild. Was there an any other inspiration other than just keep going writing songs that day? Was there something? Yeah, that- I think I was, you know, as a musician or anything in the entertainment, you're just, you can feel, you know, you're running a business and you can feel that if you don't have magic, everything crumbles, which is kind of a high bar, very intense to be like, you need to capture something that is actually very useful to other people and makes them feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I hadn't caught magic in a while and uh, it was starting to get to me. And so there was some of that in that song as well. I'm just like never giving up to keep trying to find the, we call them unicorns, the songs that, <laughs> that poke, poke through and actually touch people, you know. Mm-hmm. Hit you in the feels. Yeah. Did you have any connections to cystic fibrosis? I did not. And then one of my best friends, Justin Aldoni, had this, directed this movie mm-hmm. and he called me and asked if I had any songs that would fit in it. And I'd just written that song that week. So it was kind oh of gosh. like fate. Yeah. It worked out really perfectly. And then because of that, I've really developed a sweet bond with the CF community. And, well, you're uh, loved for sure. Man, it's so sweet. I had already kind of done a decent amount of singing at hospitals, but now I'll actually ask if there are any CF patients. Oh, bless. It's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and the song being a hit and the, that movie, of course, also brought so much needed awareness to the cause. Yeah, totally. So great. And I'm not sure how much you, you kind of know about the current situation with CF, but some breakthrough drugs actually were developed recently in the States. Really? Yeah. So last year, it was, it was actually groundbreaking. They developed a drug called Trikafta, and it's a gene modulator. So it actually corrects a lot of the disease, and it, and it basically takes it from a terminal disease to a manageable illness. So wow. it's actually insane, but... Uh, we have a huge fight here in Canada because 18 other countries have it. They all jumped on board except Canada. So mm. there's people here, you know, and, and obviously it's not really a disease that you can wait because it's progressive. And once you get a double lung transplant, which is inevitable, if you don't have this drug, you can't take this med. So again, uh, Don't Give Up On Me has, has once again become sort of the anthem. We were uh, in a, a group of CF fighters called CF Get Loud. You know, we were really advocating before all of this happened with the lockdowns and going to City Hall and doing press conferences. And yeah, Great. Awesome. once again, you know, as things start up and we start to rally, we'll be blaring it, using it as an Yeah. Especially because uh, awesome. I think a lot of the patients kind of felt like the country kind of turned their back on them, yeah. giving up on them. And it's quite personal for me with my brother. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah. She had two siblings. Yes, both born in it. Part of your life. Uh huh. And it just totally skipped me. I don't even carry the gene, which is wow, it's amazing. Crazy how bizarre things are. Yeah. As I uh, was researching you, what I really loved was how your struggles came to be and how you actually, I I think you got discovered while you were busking. Yeah. I street performed for about four years. (gasps) That's wild. So did your manager actually just come across you performing? Yeah. He would come to the street. And we would work, we started working together from that. He came wow. around the third, end of the third year that I was there. We were both, we were just like partners. He saw something in me and I saw something in him. And hmm. we just worked really hard together to make something happen. To go from the street to have some radio success was a pretty wild situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, for anyone, honestly, 
anyone who gets lucky enough to rise above the status quo in any art field is, is pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Just a lot of hard work. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're going from panhandling, busking to going platinum. Yeah. What I find though is that really what it is, is you're going from not being of service to people to being of service to people. Mm. So if you're on the street and you figured out a way to really make someone feel something or fall in love with a song or something, you are on your way. The impetus for someone to give you $10 on the street because they're like, oh my God, that guy, or wow, that girl just blew me away, mm-hmm. is a similar impetus for a radio station programmer to be like, oh my God, you know what? I'm playing it. This is crazy. Hmm. So you go from being not of service to someone to somehow being of service and to get there just takes so much intensity and work and perseverance. Because when you start playing music, I always like to say, you're not doing the service. You think you are. You're like, all right, I'm playing music for everyone. But everyone's <laughs> probably giving you their attention at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You, we've all went to a friend's show and been like, I'm doing you the service here. <laughs> you are not, I'm not getting anything from you. So if you're really kind of self-aware and honest with yourself, it was three years of trying out different songs to get about 12 minutes of music that hmm. when I played them, everybody goes, whoa, that's really good from start to finish. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you take that kind of up the ladder. How did it change you, fame? Did you find it changed you? You know, I was really lucky. I didn't have any real success until like 26, which is kind of a good age. To get it is it. a good age. Right. Your so brain's I was, fully formed. You're who you are. And I luckily got to do every job on the way up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I first moved out here, I was street performing and then booking clubs and setting up gear for other people. And just, I took the very humble route. I don't know if there's a more humble route to take in the music industry besides like just <laughs> staying out on the street for four years and trying to figure it out and then booking other acts because the club won't book you. So then I try to figure out any way that I could do it. So by the time that I had some success, I was just so intimately connected to all the lower rungs of mm. the music industry. Listen, it definitely has an effect on you. I think there was some, some stuff that I had to learn about money. I think mm-hmm. that we get taught in America that if you have money, you have no problems. And that's just not true. Or the, yeah, the effect that money has on other people and relationships, that one, that took me a second to figure out. Hmm. But everything, as far as like fame, I don't think I took like a huge dive or like went on any Coke binges or anything. <laughs> I was already pretty much who I was. <laughs> so you say authentic to who you are. Trying. Yes, I think so. Do you find that you're tempted to fit these molds that sells records? Yes, for sure yeah. there's that. And that always makes bad art. Mm-hmm. It's just bad art. Mm-hmm. What we want from you, what the public truly wants from you is your uniqueness. Hmm. That sounds like an after school special line. And when it comes down to it, the artists that are able to stand in their uniqueness, we're all super drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of courage. And that's a whole other battle outside of just like learning how to write a good song is who are you? What are you here to bring to the world? Can you own up to that and stand up and be that? Mm-hmm. You know, that takes a little while to get centered on. And hopefully you have some success along the way trying to find that out. <laughs> What's been the hardest part of your journey? You know, I think it's similar. It's like very universal, which is this idea that to wake up and actually add value to your fans in your shows and your songs. And it's just like a, you're constantly pushing a ball up a hill. And the bigger that you get, the bigger the ball that has to go up the hill. Yeah. So the hardest part is not letting that weight affect your smile. Oh my gosh, yeah. If you can figure out methods to not let it affect your smile, 
then you can still really find peace in all the good that you're hopefully doing. But it's a mental, it's so mental. The whole game is like a big mental game. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest piece is the mental game of even if you have some success, you're still just dealing with so much rejection. Maybe not somebody telling you you suck, but like (laughs) I write, usually write like a hundred songs every album. So that means that 90 of them, 90 of them don't make the cut. Mm-hmm. Like a lot. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of days to come yes. from a writing session and be like, ah, not today. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get it today. And if you write 20 in a row that are bad, that's like a month where you went in, you gave everything you had and nothing really came out of it. And knowing, trusting the process and trusting that if you show up every day, things will work out. Uh-huh. That's probably the hard, that's the hardest part. So how do you stay just, positive yeah. and keep going? I think now... I've built enough of an understanding and a history that I know that that's true. Mm-hmm. The hardest part is getting over the first hurdle, believing that this works, that like it's more important, that the process is more important than the outcome. And people that can really just go after it that way, they win over the long haul. It's hard when you don't have anything to prove to anyone or not anyone else, just to yourself. Year number two at the promenade is way hard. So what does success look like to you? Success to me is balance. Because I think that you can, you know, I live in Los Angeles. What you don't want to do is, is do the thing where you get known for having all these hits. And then the, re- the way you got that was by neglecting your family. Or if you have all this money, but you feel unhappy, what is that? So success is kind of like a balanced thing for me that has to do with business success, spirituality, what your overall purpose is for being on the planet. If you're doing good on that, then I think that's success. Mm-hmm. When do you think enough is enough in your career? When would you be content? Or do you think you'll always just be a creator? I think that goes back to like, what are we doing here? Why am I here? Yeah. I'm here to grow. So if I'm still here, (laughs) then let's do it. What are we doing? Mm -hmm. That's big. So still being fulfilled. You know, I heard you actually talk once about a quote, something like, I wish you pain to someone you love. Yeah. And it really struck me because it's just something that I always feel, you know, I feel, I feel that for my brother and I want him to experience everything in life, just especially because we don't know how, how long he has and to feel the pain so that he can grow in other areas. Do you remember what that quote was? Yeah. Hold on. Let me see if I can pull it up right now for you. It's a quote by Abdul Baha, Mm -hmm. who is an incredible spiritual teacher from the Baha'i faith. Mm -hmm. Okay. It says, the more difficulty one sees in the world, the more perfect one becomes. The more you plow and dig the ground, the more fertile it becomes. Hmm. The more you cut the branches of a tree, the higher and stronger it grows. The more you put the gold in the fire, the purer it becomes. The more you sharpen the steel by grinding, the better it cuts. Therefore, the more sorrows one sees, the more perfect one becomes. Hmm. It just kind of is that way, isn't it? It is. So it sounds mean to tell someone that you wish them pain, but uh, that's how we grow. It's like, I wish you the weight room. Mm-hmm. And everything and all the muscles that come with that. Mm-hmm. There's no success without failure. No, and, and, and on our, you know, we did a meet and greet on my last tour where everyone would come in about 100 people every night before the show. I would offer my deepest pain and how it made me grow, <laughs> which was that I lost my mother at 25. It gave me real compassion and empathy <laughs> in a way that I didn't have. My life had been pretty privileged up to that point. And like, I just didn't know pain. So I'm, I'm like a happy dude, I'm the optimistic guy. I'm like a puppy that's trying to cheer you up. And that's kind of annoying, (laughs) actually. That's really annoying to someone who's been through genuine tragedy or struggle. Mm -hmm. You want someone to come at you from a place of understanding 
not from like blind happiness. Mm-hmm. And so for my career, which is based around hope, it was really important to have that piece. I missed the hell out of my mom. I would undo it in a second if I could, but I got a lot from it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then everyone would share theirs and it was wild. <laughs> really? Was wildly incredible. Imagine <laughs> for an hour a day hearing the most dark things that you could imagine have happened to people and them standing in, in a powerful position telling you how they grew from it. Wow. It just like reframed, reframed struggle and difficulty for me on like a cellular level. Uh-huh. That was really, really powerful. Well, I know when I lost my sister, it completely changed me, mm-hmm. rocked me to the core. Like you Got said, it. How I, for the better? I didn't know pain until then, but it just it changed my life for the better for so much in so many ways. And I've gone on to help so many people. And Oh, it forced you into like a service place with other people? Yeah. So I, I, I launched the Julia Lyons Foundation where we support CF families all over Canada that need to, cool. to relocate for treatments and, and things like that. But just also a mission with different things with business and how I do my businesses and how I grow them and what I do with the success from them. Yeah. And just my yeah, mission yeah. in life, you know, the purpose behind everything and, and who I was as a person. Isn't my, that crazy? It made me reevaluate my values and everything, you know, that yep. you, you think certain things are important. You know, we had the first day we did the meet and greet. I'd never done it before. And I was a little bit, well, I was like, this is going to be good. This will turn out good, but I'm, I've never done it. I'm a little bit skeptical. <laughs> and the first person to share, it's a couple. And the dad starts to talk and the mom immediately starts to cry. Oh. And he goes, we lost our son. He was like four weeks old. Oh. And I'm now, this is the first one. And I'm like, this is a bad idea. <laughs> I, made, I made a terrible mistake. I'm sorry. Never mind. And he pushed through and said it was two of the darkest years of his life. Mm-hmm. And now, anytime that the hospital knows this has happened to someone, an infant dying, they're called to go console the families. Oh, that just gave me chills. That's oh my God, right? So he's like, yeah. it turned us into this level of servant that we could have never been. And the work that we do around these other families is like so next level. Wow. So I was like, I was literally a puddle of tears every night before I went on stage. I was like, oh, this is a lot of emotional good. <laughs> this is a lot to handle. But it's, if you dive in there, it, it's real. And, you know, I would encourage anyone who's listening, think of your deepest pain and then just do a fair, assessment of what you've gained from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to do that with my team at the office. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Are you still your Baha'i faith? That's right, correct? Yeah, Baha'i. Yeah. I had a, had a good friend growing up that her family was Baha'i. And I used to go oh, cool. do things with them. Yeah, I loved it. Everybody was just so kind and so accepting. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of the Baha'i faith is like you have progressive revelation. There's just really one, the Baha'is believe there's one God. And so there's one God through all the religions of God. And while that might seem contradictory, I mean, if you look at like Judaism and Christianity, you could see how on differing opinions, it's one religion, right? So the Baha'i faith claims that it goes deeper than that and farther than that. That it's just one God and messengers have come. So what's cool about growing up that way is kind of grew up with this feeling of same team with most religions. Yes. Right? So... If you want to go, my friend's going to synagogue. It's like, let's go. <laughs> Same squad. Let's go to church. Let's go. So the word unity comes up a lot. Ah, I found it hard sometimes through life to believe in, in a higher power. I think just growing up, seeing my siblings suffer like they have and losing my sister. Sure. But I love the idea of it and, you know, something bigger than us and meaning. And 
it brings you down to earth and puts things right back into perspective. So I always try to lead totally. myself back that way. <laughs> Listen, it's weird. It's one of the weirdest ones, weirdest it parts is. of life. <laughs> it really there's is. No doubt about it. You know, I think what's hard about faith, well, there's a quote in the Baha'i Faith that says, faith burneth the harvest of reason, mm. which is really scary for a lot of people. And that simple fact right there has, has led to horrible things happening, right? Mm-hmm. So I get it. I get it all. But even so, it's a decision that everybody gets to make for themselves. And in my journey, the Baha'i faith has been indispensable. Hmm. Just like incredible writings that have always led me to be a better person. And so on my tally of whether it's better for me or worse for me, it's undeniably great for me. And you've never struggled with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You always struggle. That's part of it. You're supposed, hmm. to, supposed to grind away with your faith. <laughs> I think. I think that... <laughs> That if you don't do that, that's what leads to blind faith is, ah. is, is scary. But I, I think that you're supposed to, if something doesn't feel right, you're supposed to dig in, try mm-hmm. to figure it out. Constantly you know? reevaluating it. And why yeah. And I had my moments of, well, screw this. I'm going to go try something else. You know, I'm in Santa Monica tonight. I'm going to go drink a beer and see what happens. Because in the Baha'i faith, like there's no alcohol, there's no sex before marriage. There's a lot of things that could seem extreme and you're just trying to live up to a, a standard. You're just trying. Some people are doing better than others, and it's not anyone's place to judge. But what I found was when I stick to kind of the writings, it's like the difference between like right now I'm on like a good eating schedule because of this quarantine. I just work better when I eat this way. Like my whole being, my whole life is better. I'm happier. I'm, I have more energy when I'm this way mm-hmm. with food. And I find it that to be true spiritually when I stick closer to the Baha'i faith. And it's very, very similar. Like I'll have moments where I'm like spiritually fat. I'm like, ah, I feel terrible. Got to get back on the treadmill. Yes. Uh, it's not like it's not like you just go, okay, cool. I'm this and I'm great now. That's a work in progress. So do you, you don't drink? I don't drink. No. Hmm. I don't drink either. I haven't yeah. drank for almost 10 years, I think. Oh, really? So have you ever had a drink? Yeah, I, I did test the water sometimes, like a couple times in high school, a couple times in college. And wow. it was pretty clear to me that it didn't didn't work for me. As soon as I stopped drinking, my life got infinitely better. You know, I think that there's a lot of ways outside of drinking that we we're all pretty good at kind of numbing or the pain or, you know, I think there's probably an A meeting for most things right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) There's like meetings for just about anything as we're all very good at escaping our true nature. But alcohol just was very easily like not my thing. And it Mm -hmm. was clear to me that that wasn't my problem. And it probably also kept you on track with your career because you didn't fall down the path that a lot of artists do with addiction. Sure. You know, I think uh, for sure that one is was an easier one for me to just step away from. There's other ones that were like a little bit harder. What I like to try and do is debunk the idea that anyone has it right or, mm-hmm. or like easy. With my latest album, was called Naive, which yes. is all about, I know you think that me being positive, not you, that just like some people might think that being positive is a naive stance, mm-hmm. but there's actually a lot of fight and intensity to stay positive in the dark world. Oh, 100%. So that's another place where like, don't give up on me comes from. So- if you are someone who casts judgment on, oh, they're just like, they're religious or they're just pure or whatever. It's like, no, there's a grind that goes on behind that to try and fight for something that you believe in. Behind the smile, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. That's powerful. Yeah. Something I talk about quite often is leaving a legacy and importantly, leaving a positive legacy behind. Do you ever think about that and what you want yours to be? Legacy. <laughs> Man. 
Well, um, super soul. I love the idea of having songs that can pick people up, like little love packages that just get sent all over the world. And then I would hope that as we go deeper, I have a little more to share about, I just think that way more people are creative and there's basic barriers to getting your creativity out hmm. that I think there can be more li- literature or talks or courses on. And I'm interested in trying to help with that. For oh. my birthday this year, I invited 20 songwriters in Los Angeles that didn't have hits yet. Oh and I brought gosh. them into my house and just gave them about an hour and a half of thoughtful advice <sighs> and pep talk about your biggest issue right now is your brain to getting over the hump. And the idea that you think that some people have it, I like to try to dispel. Mm. When someone goes big or has a huge success, the world quickly will go, oh, they just have it. They've always had it. Mm-hmm. They have it in quotation mm-hmm. marks. It, they have the thing. I think that's bullshit. So it's really nice to hear that when you don't have success to point to yet. To know that your purpose here, your uniqueness, these are all very, very special to you. And your excuses and your fear are very basic. And Mm. everyone has the same ones. And so what we like to do is we like to say that our fear and our excuses and our reasons that we can't show up for ourselves or our art, we like to aggrandize those, make those seem very special. Because then we have a reason why we're not doing what we're here to do. So when you know that like that's, and you're in a room with other people and you hear, oh, we all are just terrified of being bad, that that's the cost of admission to do anything. It's really nice. It's like really nice to hear that. Mm-hmm. I would hope that my legacy would be some sort of mixture of that. And then hopefully I'm here long enough to where there's stuff I don't even know yet. <laughs> <laughs> right? You just like keep going. Uh-huh. It's funny that you said that about that because it's very similar in the business world. And I speak at a lot of women's events and that's what I hear from from entrepreneurs when when they look at, you know, successful business people and they say, oh, well, they were lucky or you were lucky or you had this. They all make excuses as to why and why they can't do it. And so that's what I talk to them about. And no, <laughs> it's really, it's all problem solving and literally anybody can do it. You have to be willing to fail. The analogy that I use is like if we were all going to a movie and the person behind you, you could hear them saying, oh my God, my $15 that I have to pay for this. My 15 is so much more than your 15. Hmm. It's not. It's the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Either if you want to go see this movie, it's $15. That's what mm-hmm. it is. That's mm-hmm. what we're all paying. We all have our own versions of it that might be slightly different. But the truth is facing your fear of failure and facing your what your purpose is and then showing up for it, this is hard for everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody. When you were little, that, I say that to not to make someone feel bad, but to feel better. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. Not to like put you down, but to tell you, yeah, this is what we're all doing. When you were little, did you want this journey for yourself? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I was more just into sports until oh. near the end of high school, I started getting into guitar huh. and then really got into songwriting because it was such a sweet, quick way to make someone feel a deep emotion. Uh-huh. It's like a bite-sized thing. It's a bite-sized emotion gift that you get to give hmm. that I really started to enjoy trying to figure out. Were you naturally um, talented? In certain ways. I think I was naturally talented. I had a natural knack for words, hmm. how to pack a punch with words. Uh-huh. And then everything else didn't necessarily come as easy. My voice didn't jump out. As, oh my God, that guy is going to be a singer. My guitar skills were not unbelievable. So it's really funny because at school, when I went to a music business, yeah. I was kind of an ugly duckling because all the things that you could measure 
I was bad at. Right? Oh my gosh. You know, you send me to go do classical guitar and I'm like, oh, I'm bad at this. And not just like, here's, a, <laughs> here's not, I'm like, oh no, every Tuesday I show up and Ron Borzon would be like, why are you here? This is bad. <laughs> this is really bad. And then we'd get into jazz class, you know, there'd be these jazz hangs that would happen at the cool jazz house. And I would go and just love hearing everyone play. And that, at that point, that was just not my skill set. Still, I'm, I'm learning. I've actually, in this quarantine, been doing a lot of music theory. But my real skill is melody and lyric. Mm. So I always think it's really funny when people who went to school with me must really be confused. <laughs> that, that guy, he couldn't do anything. <laughs> and I would spend the majority of the time in, the, in a practice room not doing scales, huh. but figuring out, okay, why, does these, why do these words make you feel something? over these chords, which is a different skill set mm. than can you play Bach or can you play this Jimi Hendrix solo? I'm like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely can't. But I do know that it's really hard to get a song like Don't Give Up On Me to not feel cheesy and to reach into your soul and convince you to keep going. Yes. That's really hard to do. When you start to try to write it, you realize, whoa, it's like sand that falls in your hand because it sounds cheesy. Go yeah. try to write a song called Don't Give Up and have it not be cheesy. It's freaking hard. Mm -hmm. So like getting ideas across through music that make you feel more emotional, whether that be making you feel happy, make you feel somber, making you feel empowered. This is a very interesting skill set that I think is, you know, as a pop songwriter, that's, that's the most important thing. A hundred percent. And the best, the best ones have that gift. Because it yeah. really, yeah, like it really evokes that emotion in you that's memorable and makes it stand out. Yeah, but if you write 20 in a row and they're not good, you can then be questioning like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? You know, a year and a half, two years into street performing. It's like, what the hell is going on here? I know I'm making like slight progress, but what's really hard with art is that it's either working or it's not working, hmm. mostly. So you're either making someone feel something or you're making them feel nothing. Mm -hmm. I always say other jobs, you know, I imagine that if you get hired to be like a banker or something, they might do some training on the job or, yeah. you know, you kind of get told how this works and you, you get better at it. it. With art, there's no one paying you to train. Hmm. And unless you make someone feel, oh my God, that's beautiful. Or, oh my God, I need that. It's just like a big zero that comes in. Wow. So it's a lot of faith that, you know, and then you, when you finally turn the corner, then a lot of stuff can happen really fast because everyone, everyone can feel it at the same time. One of the best lessons for me as a street performer was that you made all your money at about one or two points during the day, but I'd hmm. be out there for 10 hours. Oh, wow. So I get there, wait for a good spot. And then you have, in Santa Monica, you had to move every two hours. But what you were waiting for was the conditions to be correct and the right song to hit a population when the conditions were correct. Hmm. And then when they was correct, everyone would agree as a group, like, whoa, we all felt that. And they'd reach for their wallet. Hmm. But that's really hard to get everyone to feel that way. Do you ever get imposter syndrome still? Every day. I have, oh. I've started doing uh, poetry as well. I've started my shows with, with poems. Wow. And, and one of the poems that I wrote and just posted the other day was, if you don't feel like an imposter daily, you're probably not trying enough new things. Oh, I love that. Right? I'm going to trade that down. <laughs> like it means that you're staying in your lane too much. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I think one of the cool parts of 2020, 
while there are many difficult parts, a lot of us are able to break down this idea of I'm a book writer. That's all I am. Like, well, there's so many things you can do right now. All mm-hmm. the technology here. Are you sure you don't want to be a cooking show host too? Mm-hmm. You probably could if you have enough persistence to go after that. Or, you know, we're all just like very open to a lot of different things. I think that's sweet. That's one of the one of the positives of today. Yeah. I, I mean, you can literally start anything really if you have Wi-Fi. Yeah. You got yeah. Wi-Fi and, you know, you're focused on how to get good enough at something to be of service to someone else. So you can uh-huh. do it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just wanted to say, so how are you staying positive, you know, with quarantine and a newborn baby? Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Thank you so much. I think it's really about, you know, one of the gifts of this, which is hard to say gift based on my situation. I'm very blessed and lucky, right? I know there's a lot of yes. people who don't have the situation that I have. So first, just respect to anyone that has a very different situation than I do. But for me, it's been just really being aware of what's what's different and awesome about what's different for me. Mm-hmm. So what's awesome is the intense amount of time spending with my family. I already would have left on so many shows. So the downside is like, wow. there's no shows. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, there's no shows. Wow. <laughs> Well, who am I if there's no shows? And then you get to like start growing in these other ways because you're being forced into these other areas. Yeah, there's been a lot of really cool pieces. Like for me, it's hard to eat healthy on the road. Oh, even if you try, it's hard. And so, you know, some of my band members who are stronger than I am, my bass player is just like a workout aholic, and (laughs) he always makes the right choices. But I, it's harder for me. So to be home and have a very, very consistent idea of what you're going to have every day has just left me, you know, lost some weight, feeling pretty good. That's been my favorite thing for sure is just eating healthy, eating so healthy and getting on new supplements and really focusing on just, yeah, health and fitness. And it's like, whoa, whoa, really taking a back seat and I feel phenomenal and and I've really been getting my family every day to do five things they're grateful for, telling me what they are. And, and I think that's really helped to stay positive because there still is so many amazing things to be grateful for. So we just did this video yesterday. I'm sorry, I keep going. I'll cut you off. No, no, no. Go ahead. For somebody else, we're making a video telling them about what we do on tour. One of my backup singers one year brought this to me. His father was a pastor. And he shared that this is what they used to do. And to do it with your family, we just did it with my family yesterday. You have... You have a chair that someone has to sit in every night and you, how big is your family? My family, uh, there's four of us. Four of you. Mm-hmm. So you put one person in the chair and then everybody else has to say what they love about them. Oh. And you know, my band has got eight, not eight people in it. So you, you sit down before you go on stage, one person each night and seven people get to tell you what they love about you. And oh, it I was love that. so simple and so profound to just create a space for all these things that we think we, the other people know. Mm-hmm. But then when you hear it, you're like, whoa, that feels really, really sweet. And it's really fun to say and to do. So that's a good idea. I'm going to do that at my office too with my staff. Oh, yes. Do it with your staff. It's so great. Oh, that's amazing. So what's next for you? I got a lot of new music that I think is, that I'm very, very excited about. So we're pushing that. It's kind of day by day right now. It's yeah, hard. I think really. we're all kind of, making being creative making a lot of plans in a lot of different directions and then kind of riding the new normal for a little bit mm-hmm. looks like i won't have very many shows for a while so i'm finding yeah just like finding my rhythm of what the next year brings i'm kind of into it right now i'm <laughs> yeah. doing a lot of research about okay so what do i get to dive into that i usually it's would be on nice. four airplanes this week and now i got a lot of time to, to figure out what to fill it with so we're making some decisions and haven't made any quite yet, but there's cool I, stuff coming. I do like the little break. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
So where can people find you? Hit me up all, all over the place. Hit me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all, and all the Andy Grammer all across the Actually, board. Actually, yeah. And then I have this texting service that's really, really cool. Oh, I, I was hmm. on this for a while, a while. I don't know. Do you have a text number as well? No, but I've seen them. I've seen a, I've seen a lot of... Uh, yeah. When I was on tour, I was doing... I would just text people and be like, oh, I'm in Minnesota. If you come to this Dunkin' Donuts in the next uh, 30 minutes, I'll buy everyone donuts. Oh, that's amazing. And we were doing amazing. these like, pop-up hangs and meet and greets all over the country. And now we're doing a lot of really fun stuff, kind of giving away stuff. Or sometimes I'll hop on there and someone will be like, we're getting married. Could you make us a video? And I'll just send it. Or you, you know, my son's having a birthday or, or my girlfriend's having And I'll, I'll, as much as I can, I try to connect with everybody there. So oh, if you that's like me really kind. and you're listening, it's 323-329-6227. I try to respond to, to as many people as I possibly can. So do you have, like, how does that work? It goes to a separate account that you log into? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I text people back. It's awesome. Wow. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Right. This, was, uh, this was amazing. And thank you for everything Sending that you, you do so for the community. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. Sending you tons of love it. too. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, dude. 